you're tuned in with In the Blind Combat Waterfowl, the podcast. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to In the Blind Combat Waterfowl. I'm your host, Andrew Beck, sitting here with my lovely co-host, Robert Brewer. What up? What up? What up? Got a uh, little episode for you guys today. We're going to talk about some dog issues, trainings. I don't want to say issues, actually. What to look for um, and how to make a, a good assessment on what you actually need out of a dog. Yeah, we can call this uh, the deal with the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with the dogs? Um, yeah, so obviously this is a topic that is kind of near and dear to my heart and Andy over the last couple of years has, has dug into this pretty deep. And so I guess moreover, what we're trying to accomplish is going over first and foremost, what should you look for if you're looking for a, a dog, but then also maybe talk about the various different places that you could go with your dog as far as training is concerned and then maybe some preseason drills to work on uh, right before you, you go hunting to kind of hone that back in with your dog. So I'm pretty excited about this one. Um, Dylan is working tonight, but he will be with us back on episode eight. Uh, I know he's he's been on a little hiatus, but he's uh, he's been doing cop things out there and, and hasn't been able to break off. So. We're excited to have him back next week, but let's uh let's dig in, man, Andy. So you just recently, about a year ago, almost probably now, got Tucker, right? Yes. Yeah, he's almost a year old. He'll be a year old. Um, September twenty seventh. He'll be a year old. And so. tell us, tell us, uh, tell us about Tucker. Tucker is a. So Tucker's a full-blooded golden retriever. He's a, <laughs> a um, he's a little uh, he's a house dog, man. He's he's uh, I had high hopes for him. Um, <laughs> he, he's coffee shop. <laughs> he's very coffee shop. If 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 you were a cross between, um, let's say, he is probably a little bit of Drake the rapper and. Um, <laughs> maybe like a little little dirt or something like that like he yeah but he he definitely he definitely drinks ipas just like his daddy <laughs> <laughs> he, he is for sure an ipa drinker he's a, he's a little bougie man yeah so prior to that you know you were kind of you were not necessarily when you got tucker looking for a duck dog you were just kind of looking for a bro a homie and uh and so you went that direction so yeah i mean like so there wasn't i mean i knew there was a little bit of a chance that we were going to go that route but um ultimately i decided against it and i think it's very uh for one i mean golden retrievers yeah they can and he came up he came from a breeder who had uh multiple dogs who had been um and done hunt tests and and that sort of thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't a main trait of this breeder, if that makes sense. So I knew he had, he had potential, he had capabilities, he, he could do it. Um, but ultimately I, I decided against it based upon, um, seeing his personality and then the interaction within the family that kind of yeah. threw it through it through that out of the window. Um, and I guess that kind of, I, I guess would bring me to a tip to people that are in that situation that they want a dual purpose dog. Maybe that's, you have high expectations and, and they're, I, honestly, I don't think that they're justified. We're going to dig into that. We're going to dig into that pretty deep, um, throughout this conversation, but I, I was on the opposite end of the spectrum with with my dog. Uh, so I have two older dogs that are, well, one is 10 already, turned 10 in April. The other turns 10 in November. And I was, a couple years ago, I, I wanted to make sure that I, that I got a dog that 
I never sold short again. So when I got Ember, you know, well, actually when I got Ember and Dakota, I trained both of them myself and they went and got ducks and they brought them back. But I was always the dude with a pocket full of rocks or a pocket full of throwing shells or, or whatever, because my dogs weren't properly trained. And Ember, she, she had it. She still does. I mean, even at almost 10 years old, that dog acts like she's two. And I regretted every single day not sending her to a formal training and or doing it myself, whichever way you go about it. Um, and, I, and I regretted. I felt like I took something away from her that she deserved. And so with Kai, I've I made a vow to myself that, hey, if he's got it, I'm going to run. I'm going to run him all the way until he can't run no more as far as um up the hunt test ladder and there's a lot of people out there that are i won't say that they're anti-hunt test but they in their mind they they just they they swear it off they're like oh my you know I'm, my dog's never gonna do these hunt tests and my dog can do everything that these these hunt test dogs can do and i'm i would love to see those people bring their dog out to hunt test just one time because for every person that says, I don't need that kind of dog, those are the first people that when they see that kind of dog work, there's 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 the, the jaws are on the floor more so than anybody else. Well, I, th I think it, it why their their jaws are really on the floor is because they have a dog that has potential or it had – I shouldn't say does anymore because normally they're at a, a, a point in age in their life where it's really not going to be yeah, feasible. too far removed from that. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to backtrack on that. Um, you know, the, the, the first, you know, really the first three to four years are super influential on that dog and really making that impact. You're not going to be able to do it, but I think that they're, they're floored because they, they realize that, and don't get me wrong, like if if that dog that they have is more than willing to go and, uh, you know, snag a bird for them and back, that's that's a tool for you at that point. But you maybe they're finally seeing the potential that that tool actually could have been. Yeah, I definitely I definitely saw it for myself, I guess, for the people that are listening, you know, you. There is a there's something that is unexplainable about a dog who is a master of his craft. Just the same that you would think of, of anyone who, who is trained in their area of expertise. And when you have a dog who can handle to a blind retrieve and you have a dog who's been properly force fetched, you have, you have a, a piece of, of equipment at your disposable at your disposal that is indispensable. And the a dog like that adds so much to a hunt and adds so much to you as a hunter. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who try to be cheap asses and try to do it themselves. I, I was that guy. Uh, you know, I was active duty military at the time. I didn't have a ton of money. I was also stationed in Fairbanks, Alaska. So it's not like the training season is very long up there. There were a lot of, there are a lot of excuses that I can give to you that may or may not justify whatever people are trying to justify out there. But all I'll say is there's a reason that professional trainers exist. And there's a reason that they're successful is because they are trained in their field to create masters and i'm not saying master is as master hunter every person doesn't need a master hunter dog I, I i don't i fully don't believe that i don't think that every person needs a master hunter do i believe that every duck hunter out there should at least have a dog to a senior level absolutely and you know what it, let me ask you andy i know you're not like super well versed in the akc realm but if 
if what is your expectation of a dog? What do you what do you want or what do you need or what do you feel you want or need a dog to be able to do at a bare minimum for you as if you're going to get out of if you're going to get one? Um, well, I mean, sorry, I mean, technically, I, I would say I'm I'm in the beginning stages of, you know, trying to figure out exactly what I want. And, and hopefully I would say by next season, maybe I have one that's that's started and moving that way. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily want to say I'm, I'm hunting them next season. And that that's another thing I think that I, I'll throw this tidbit out and then I'll, I'll kind of go with my expectations. But like um, I have a friend um, who is in uh, Maine that I was in the army with and he's, he's training his own dog right now. And we, we converse back and forth or whatever, a little bit, his dog, I mean, for him doing himself from what I've seen from it looks pretty good, but I guess what I'm getting at is like we were talking about uh, I was like, hey, you know, you're going to hunt him this year or whatever. And uh, he was like, yeah, I'm going to try to a little bit like. That expectation, I think a lot of people have skewed like, hey, I'm going to get a dog in, you know, March or whatever, you know, I'm getting it into the season and then they immediately want that dog for the next season to be tip top perfect. That's unrealistic. Let's, yeah, one hundred percent. You're gonna create so many bad habits. It's not even funny. Yeah, you're gonna cut so many corners that. Um, yeah, I think it's gonna be you. It you're not gonna benefit yourself as much as you really need to off of it. Uh, but as far as my expectations go, um, I want a dog who's universal, but I need him to 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 specialize in a couple things. And I would say, for me, hunting for one, I need a dog who's a strong swimmer um that's number one like if i have a dog it's going to be out in you know coastal tidal water and it needs to know how to fight current how to you know just be able to tread at a bare minimal those are um, conditioning things i think so you need to condition you need to make sure uh you as an owner um and through the training program that you you either hire or uh employ for yourself you know that's a conditioning thing yeah like he, he he's gonna have to be he or she is gonna have to be pretty strong. Right. Um, then I need uh, a dog who has the ability to blind retrieve. Right. Um, I I don't. There's not very many options per se on my boat to have a dog sitting up where he can watch. Yeah. It's, so it's basically, feasible. every retrieve of that a dog would would do hunting with you is going to be a blind retrieve. No matter yeah, what, I would, I would have to cast him every single time. Yeah. Um, and so that I would want, you know, one essentially to be universal, but um, conditioning would be a, a one thing that I'm, I'm truly looking at, as well as um, the ability to, to blind retrieve on the cast and, and him be good at it because I don't want him or her to have to suffer based upon inability if that makes sense like right. th there's some i mean like we watch watch kai do it last time we we see doug coming him i mean like he's in the water for you know almost 10 minutes like that's retrieving two birds yeah just two birds he's he's in there 10 minutes you know so um the conditioning of that dog has to be top notch as well as his ability to blind cast like they they need to be intuitive enough that they can pick up on it while they're out there yeah well i mean i think that i think that blinds are things that a lot of a lot of people neglect amateur trainers in my opinion i think a lot of amateur trainers or amateur dog owners amateur duck hunters neglect the necessity for a blind retrieve uh because the reality of it is that a dog is only going to be able to even if you have the best marking dog on the planet that dog is only going to be able to mark a certain number of birds before he's unable to remember where any more birds fell you know for instance in, in a master in a master level hunt test they have to they'll have tr they'll usually have well they will have at least one triple but generally they'll have two triples and some tests are ran where you have three. And so the dog has to memorize where three different birds fell and they have to mark those birds and know that. 
you know, so that's at a, that's at a master level is remembering three birds, you know, and not saying that, not saying that they can't remember more than that, but if you have a big group of birds come in and you got four people in a boat hunting, it's entirely possible or feasible that more than three birds will fall. Now, it, it not saying that that will happen all the time. <laughs> you know, we've been in a blind where we've had six people in, you know, 18 shots go off and one bird falls. You know, that's <laughs> that happens too. But, you know, you're going to have to be able to cast that dog. The dog's going to remember the marks that the dog remembered. You're going to you're going to send that dog out for those marks. And when that dog comes back and goes out there again and and hasn't marked any more birds, that's when you're going to have to pick up that whistle and you're going to have to put them on that bird. And if you don't have a dog that's capable of doing that, you've sold yourself and you've sold your dog and you've sold your hunt short. So I, I bring up a good point on that. Like, and like we're speaking solely on, you know, essentially blind casting on um, water. But like when we spec hunted last year, that was one of the most um, pivotal moments in me understanding why I need a dog to blind cast. Oh yeah. Because they would go and they would pick up their first two or three marks. Uh, Kai and the, um, I forgot what the other gentleman, I forgot what his dog's name was, but he was, he, but he was a good dog as well. Like he could blind cast and he, you know, he was, he was, he was, uh, I don't know if he was a, a master dog or not, but the level between him and, uh, his handler were, were really good. Um, but, thinking about something like that, like if, you know, if, if, if there, there was 20 of us in the blind and, you know, we were dropping at a time anywhere from 10 to 15 specs at a time, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, like that was, uh, at that point in time, it's just, you know, it was just you and him up in front of the blind, just straight cast them and they were bringing them back. We weren't, we weren't ever having to leave the blind. Do you know what I mean? Most field hunts that I've been on have been where you have two dogs. Yeah. You know, um, when we go up to the Midwest, you know, Zane has his dog and Chase has his dog. And they they work together on opposite ends of the blind. And it it works. I mean, you saw the same the same thing what we did in Arkansas. The the whole deal, I guess, is the people that are out there that are questioning whether their dog does or doesn't need to go through a program. I'm here to tell you that your dog 100% needs to go through a program. Now, if you have the time to do a legitimate program, like run through, you can look at, I know Andy, you mentioned cornerstone the other day, but you know, there's, there's Tom Dawkins, um, retriever trainer and advanced retriever trainer. There's, pretty well-known book there's water dog um there's a million and one things most areas also have a, a, a retriever club and if you could join you know if they have a retriever club near you join a retriever club is an excellent way to meet other amateurs to meet other professional trainers to bounce ideas back and forth you they usually come with grounds they're not very expensive and it's a good way for you to get involved or i guess segue yourself into that community and frankly if you even if you're going to train your dog yourself i would still 100 recommend sending your dog to a professional trainer for it at a minimum force fetching um also i wanted to go back and say um when you're looking at at what type of training you want um understand that like there's certain trainers that are, you know, more hunt test based. And then there's others that are kind of in my opinion are they're bird retriever trainers. You know, if that makes sense, like that they're going to teach you your, your dog to go get a bird, but that's really it. Like he, I'm going to be controversial here. And I'm just going to say, if you, if, if they're not, if your trainer isn't training to a testable standard, whether that's UKC finished standard or seasoned, or whether it's AKC senior or master, 
you should not be sending your dog there. If that trainer, so like that's, that brings up another topic. How do you find a trainer? I feel like you should find trainers that have a track record of success in the test world. If you have a trainer and all they do is hang out at junior and senior, that says something about that trainer, whether it's that's where the money is for their customer or whether that's where their skills stop. And I'm not at all going to put down a professional dog trainer because I certainly am not a professional dog trainer. I sent my dog off. However, what I'll say is if you have a pro who goes to master and I go to these tests, you know, on a regular basis with Kai and I see pro trainers go through master and absolutely kill it. They'll walk out of there and, you know, three fourths or better of their truck is getting passes on a regular basis. That is a trainer you want to send your dog to. And then I have also seen professional trainers have 10 dogs go through master and not a single one of them pass. You know, and that is a trainer I'd probably avoid, you know, and my dog's not perfect. My dog's not trained perfect. But I will tell you this, me and my dog have a great relationship and he has been trained to that standard. You know, we've got one more master pass to get and he'll get his title. But he's trained to that standard and he's been held to that standard by some really good, really good trainers and and enforced and reinforced with me working with him. And I think that I I needed just as much training as Kai did because I needed to learn how to properly handle a dog like that. I had never had a dog like Kai that was capable of anything close to what Kai is capable of. And learning how to use that tool is a necessity. I mean, I've learned so much by running AKC hunt tests on how to handle a dog through and then, you know, through the professional trainers that have helped me along the way, get him to the place he is now. Um, I feel like I've learned just as much as probably Kai has. Yeah, uh, I'm, this brought me back to another expectation or whatever. Uh, I want my dog to be able to be handled by multiple people. Absolutely. So uh, this is a, uh, this is a pet peeve of mine. Uh, I hate uh, I, I hate to hunt with people that have a dog and they only listen to that one person. Like it, it drives me up the wall. Like we, like it's it's really like it, it's not a um, it's not a negative against the dog. Like he, he might I mean he could do fine or whatever. It doesn't that's kind of irrelevant. My point, the point is, is that a lot of times, like when we hunt, there's so much going on between, you know, set up, clean up, uh, you know, somebody running a camera or, you know, whatever, like, I just need to be able to tell your dog to sit down or, you know, here or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and then, like, and then in like, especially too, like in, uh, like in, and I would say in like my realm of hunting, um, I have other things to worry about. Like when I'm hunting nine out of 10 times, I'm just worried about the boat and everyone's safety. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't need to, I like, I, I'll, I'll deal with the dog as much as I can, but I, I would love to be able to have somebody else in the boat with me while I'm working on someone else to be able to cast his ass out. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that absolutely. was that's probably, the, so, you know, Kai is the first master dog really that I've, I've ever hunted with and seen like that. And that's probably one of his most impressive things that I think is that he has an ability, no matter, as long as they understand him and his commands, they can make him do what, what he needs to do. Yeah. And that, and that, and, you know, just to be transparent, you know, that's not, that is not a limitation of, of just Kai or that is not an achievement of just him. I, it That is an achievement, honestly, of, most trainers are going to be able to are going to produce a dog that is going to work off of more than one person. But it's also it's about it's about you, too. It's how you talk to the dog. Yeah. You know, you don't ask the dog. You tell the dog. You're giving you're giving him a command. And, you know, people can people think a lot of things about. Training and dog trainers, especially in the waterfowl world that they're barbaric that they're you know whatever 
force fetching is a barbaric process in most in the most simple terms. It is a barbaric process. Absolutely it is. However, that control that you have over that dog can save that dog's life. If that, you know, if 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 I would have sent Kai out for that surf scoter and we thought the surf scoter was dead, turns out it wasn't, starts diving. I need to be able to call that dog off. And if you don't have a dog that will listen to you no matter what, you're, your dog's going to be swimming out there, wearing itself out, potentially drown itself. I mean, you've got to have a dog whose obedience and trust in you is, is there. And when you send a dog on back and you give them that blind retrieve, they know that there's a bird out there. You wouldn't be sending them if there's not one. And so you have and you build a relationship with that dog that is unstoppable. Well, that and that's another thing, too, is like the ability to control their drive. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I like that's, you know, when you think about it, that's their sole purpose. And you want them to have as much drive as possible. But you also need to be able to control that. You know what I mean? Like, like, I, I think we could like, I think. Like. Kai specifically and we, and we could talk about that single retrieve you know what I mean like we were we thought that that bird was down you know what I mean and really yeah. it wasn't you know it was it was still up and and uh well it was up and down up and down up and down but he was already almost I would say close to 60 yards from the boat like that's a long ways to swim in those in, conditions, in those conditions, yes. Like that's and I should have prefaced that. In those conditions, that's a long ways to swim. And I mean, that's that's almost quite frankly, it's a minute and a half, almost two minutes just to get out there for them. Yeah. Like, and yeah. They, I mean, we're at the, the the you know, the essentially it was the inlet between uh the river and the uh the sound. So I mean, there's water the the it's moving in all directions. It's not like it's just like he can, you know, well, kind there's of tides, there's wind and there's current, yeah. you know, all going on at the same time. Yeah. Before we escape this topic, though, I, I want to talk about something real quick. And it's it's something that is very important. What to look for in a puppy. And and we'll we'll come back to where we are right now. I just I I feel like we can go down a pretty long rabbit hole in this. And I want to cover this topic. So when you're looking for a retriever puppy, for me, I'm I'm gonna get a Labrador. I'm not the guy, I, I'm not the guy who's gonna go get a Chessie. I'm not the guy who's gonna go get a Boykin or a standard poodle or a golden or you know a draft or any of these other I'm gonna call them toy hobby breeds of retrievers. Yes. There are plenty of Chessies, Goldens, Boykins, Flat Coats, Curly Coats, all these other types of dogs that will make wonderful waterfowl dogs. But for the guy who's out there or the girl who's out there who's just trying to get a dog that has the most chance of reliability, 100% for me, no question, it's going to be a Labrador. And I'll take that a little bit further to say, that when you're selecting your litter, to me, pedigree and health test. Actually, number one, health test. Number two, pedigree. If a breeder, first off, if the litter's not AKC registered, I'm not even looking at it. It's not going to happen. If it's not a registered, if it's not a registered litter, because if they won't even take the time to breed registered dogs, they're definitely not going to look for some of the major health issues that impact labs that litter better have on both sides the sire and the dam better have hips certified whether it's pin hip whether it's ofa i don't care hips and elbows better be certified that dog better have been checked for cnm better have been checked for eic um you know there's so many things that labs get but the top three for me are cnm EIC and checking their hips. And if the if the breeder isn't responsible enough or hasn't taken the time to 
check those three things, it's not worth your time. If the breeder doesn't offer a guarantee against genetic disorders, not worth your time. You're not going to get out of it in most cases. You're not going to get out of a good puppy for, I would say, probably bottom dollar would probably be around $750, $800. I would expect to pay around $1,500 for a good puppy, maybe more. So this, and you cost bringing up a good point. Um, like if you want that dog, it would probably be better off for you to stay away from the designers. Yeah. Like I, I, I was telling you, like, I mean, a, a decent golden, we're not talking like top of the top, but a decent golden with a, a good pedigree and, but, you know, health records, everything else is three, four grand. Yeah. Like, and that's not even, you're not even, you know, we're not even guaranteeing anything here. Like, no, well, it's never a guarantee. And we'll get yeah. into that. Too. Um, um, but like, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, like my wife wanted a golden. That's why we ended up with the golden. You know what I mean? And, and I was like, well, that's the most, if that's where our, our, compromises we didn't have any other dogs prior though so i knew that the, that was going to be a, a hard take and all you know what i mean but even then a, a decent pedigreed golden and uh, a health check i still paid almost two grand for that dog right yeah but it's well worth it i mean you oh, have yeah. a, you have a well-bred golden maybe not you don't have a field bred golden but you have a well responsibly bred golden and that is all yeah. that you could ask for um you know, and the second part of of this whole thing is pedigree. Me personally, you know, I'm looking for a duck dog. I want to increase my chances of having a successful stab at it um, by making sure that dogs within the pedigree are performing. The, the dog has a proven bloodline, a track record. Uh, and, you know, they can say, well, I, you know, I've hunted with the dog. The dog hunts great. Oh, okay. I, I, okay. That's cool. That's fine. I'm not saying you can't make a dog out of a nothing pedigree, quote unquote. But what I am saying is that when you have a dog and a pedigree that is stacked on both sides, you know, plenty of senior and master hunters, maybe there's some field trial mixed in some field champions, amateur field champions. Um, those are the things that I'm looking for. I'm looking for master hunters. I'm looking for AFC. I'm looking for amateur field champion. I'm looking for national field champion. I'm looking for field champions. This is what I, that's what I'm looking for. And me, I want a mix of a hunt test dog and a field trial dog. I That, to me, is the best mix you could have because you have, you have a little bit of what they call a switch in those dogs most of the time where they're able to turn down that drive when they walk in the door. And to me, that's important. And I think that if you can if you can manage to find a responsibly bred litter with a good pedigree, that's where that's where you need to stay. And and don't sacrifice, don't sacrifice anything. You know, you're going to make this dog an investment. And yes, it's going to cost you more money, but it will save you more money in the long run than having a dog who has health issues and and all these other things. I, I've been down that road too. You know, I got, I got Cabela several years ago, sent her to training. She made it, I don't know, two months in training. I was away on the way home from early season goose hunting in New York and the dog couldn't get her hips up. I took her to the vet with the trainer, come find out she had hip dysplasia. Now this dog came from a litter where both parents had excellent hips. It can still happen. Be you drastically reduce the chances of bad things happening by buying a responsibly bred dog. And the breeder took care of the situation. And through that whole circumstance is how I, how I ended up with Kai. So I just, I really want people to, when selecting a dog for this type of purpose, to be responsible about the dog you select. Don't it, and don't be surprised if you choose to go a different direction and you wind up with a subpar example of what you started started with to begin with that you wanted. You know, you're gonna if you if you go down that road, you're more than likely gonna gonna settle. And 
I guess to also say, I don't know, I, I, a good direction to go for somebody who doesn't have the time maybe or doesn't want to take the time to run a dog through, you know, two or three years worth of training or doesn't have the finances to maybe run a dog through that period of training, you can always buy a started dog. And buying a started dog is not a bad thing at all because you've already, you can see with the dog's progress of where they're at, at whatever stage they're in, and you can see the proven results. You're not necessarily rolling the dice on a puppy. And I can't say that I won't do that next time. I've always started, I've always had a puppy and ran them through. I don't know that I'm going to do that again. Well, I think too, like, you talk about the financial aspect of it. You can buy a trained dog a lot cheaper than if you start a dog yourself. The initial well, shock factor on it is going to be, you know, when when the trainers are like, yeah, man, he's going to be, you know, seven, eight grand. Like, yeah, that's that's a, a big hit. But you're going to spend more than that just in two years of training. I easily have over $20,000 in Kai. Easily. Yeah. Like, so when you, when you think about it, like, is that $7,000 really? Is it, is it that bad? Like, let's look at the, the other aspect of it too. A dog is the single most expensive piece of hunting equipment you own. Besides the it, boat. Yeah. Like, or, or if you own a piece of land or something like that, but like, it's the second most expensive piece. And most valuable. And it's the most valuable piece. Like, so it, it it kind of confuses me and, and back to your point um even if you're going to be the guy that's going to train your own dog don't sell yourself short and be like oh well, i'm just going to go buy you know a what what i would consider maybe a subpar puppy because you you're like well i'm just going to train it myself that's only going to put you behind the eight ball even more even worse like you just put yourself deeper in a hole you know and if your expectations are extremely high, then that's not, it's not really possible. Now I will caveat this in saying, make sure that your dog meets your hunting needs. If you're the guy that's just, you know, the guy that wants to get his three wood ducks in the hole, you, you might not need these caliber of dogs that we're talking about. Like you're still going to need, I still can't think of a, I can't think of a single hunting situation where you would not want a dog that would at least do a cold blind. I, I mean, I agree with you completely, but what I'm saying is, is that like, if you don't have that level of expectation and I, I will beg to say, if you don't have that level of expectation, it's probably because you haven't seen a dog at their full potential and what they can and can't do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think the baseline expectation for any waterfowl hunter should be at least able, the dog should be able to do it blind. I'm not saying that the dog has to do like the prettiest blind in the world. I'm not saying everything has to be perfect because in reality it doesn't, but I, I don't, I can't, I'm struggling to find a scenario where it makes sense where you wouldn't want a dog to, to be able to do it blind or how you would, I guess, be successful in every scenario. If all you did was you shot one duck out of a flock, Every single time a flock came in and they were all marked retrieves and all perfect scenarios happened. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Your dog doesn't need to do a blind in that circumstance. If every dog, if every duck falls in a completely open landscape, 15 yards and splashes in front of the blind. Yeah. In an ideal world. Yeah. You wouldn't need it. But I, I, I don't think that first off, we don't hunt in ideal scenarios. We hunt in crappy weather. We hunt in cold weather. And all of these other things happen. And we can talk about two other things that you brought up a pet peeve. I'm going to bring up two real quick. Number one, put your dog in a crash proof kennel. Do not be that dude that, that has your, your, you know, your girl or your, your boy sitting on the back seat, sitting on the front seat all the time. If you get in a wreck, that dog becomes a missile and your dog is, is way more likely to get hurt inside the cab of a truck than it would be inside of a crash rated kennel. Me personally, I use gunner. Um, 
you know, this isn't sponsored by Gunner or anything like that. I really like their product and I've been incredibly impressed with, with my Gunner kennel. There are several other brands out there that, that make crash proof kennels. Yes, they're expensive, but it's an investment in your dog. Protect your dog. The second thing, if you're hunting in an environment where sticks are a big deal or you're hunting in an environment where it's cold, get your dog a vest. It makes me so mad when people have dogs running into areas of sticks and all this other stuff without a vest on. I don't care if it's September and it's hot. That dog has a pretty good chance of getting hurt if you're not protecting their chest plate. And I don't understand why people put their dogs in scenarios to get hurt. Or, you know, if it's if it's ungodly cold, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and and let my dog get mad. Like again, they he is an investment. I have a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of love for that dog. And there ain't nothing that I'm going to do intentionally to set my dog up for failure. And I think that we as dog owners and as duck hunters, responsible waterfowl hunters, need to do a better job. I see a lot of dogs in the bed of pickup trucks without being in a kennel. I see a lot of people riding around with their dogs um, on a regular basis. Now, I'm not going to say that me and Kai don't, I don't let him ride up front sometimes. I do let him ride up front. On occasion, very, very limited occasion for very short trips. But that's more or less because, I mean, he's my boy. And if I feel like he's done something, if he's had a really awesome day, you know, and we're training and I'm not far away from home or whatever, I'll I'll let him ride up front for a very short ride. But that could bite me in the ass one day, too. So I just, I don't know. Those are two of my pet peeves. I mean, I agree with both of those completely. And I'm a big proponent in the obedience aspect of crate training. Like, yes, I, sir. I, I, uh, a lot of people don't like it. And we got a lot of people that are, are against it because, oh, well, my dog is, it's a member of my family. Yeah, it is a member of your family, but I don't let my kid do whatever the fuck they want. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to let my dog do it, you know? Um, but, uh, I mean, the vest thing bugs me only because there's, there, it's just a, a, a huge safety aspect at that point, man. Like, I can't, uh, the, I mean, and the thing about it is to me too, like, yeah, like their, their temperament is, they can handle temperature better than us, but, I mean, you, if your dog is in prime shape, it's at almost at the, you know, the, the leanest it can possibly be like it's, yeah. it's filling that, you know what I mean? Well, it takes a lot. It takes a lot out of a dog to be able to go in and out, in and out, in and out of cold water. It really does. It takes a lot out of them. Um, and I, and I think that's something that a lot of hunters from in general, I think that most people understand the, you got to be careful about how much you're exposing your dog to the elements but when i see dogs in super cold environments and i don't see a vest on them it gets me worried and i mean like it, we see it all the time like we i how many videos you watch on a yearly basis and it is balls cold outside and people don't have a, a vest on their dog like it, and it yeah you know what's crazy to me too is is, is the guy that's like you know all you know or they're field hunting no vest on his dog like yeah i get it he's not in the water like i understand that it's still 20 some odd degrees you know 15 degrees out here like he's cold too like he's sitting here just like we are in the wind like, like you're wearing a jacket ain't you you know what like, i mean <laughs> like you know like, like pop a vest on my man or you know a little lady um yeah but care for him man and, and, you know, I don't know if you, like, I don't, generally, I won't feed, I won't feed Kai before a hunt. I'll feed him the night before a hunt, but I won't feed him before a hunt. Um, Just because I get terrified that his stomach's going to turn. I've seen a lot of folks uh, feed their dog before vigorous activity. I've, I've bred up on their dog's stomach's turning. So that's one thing to maybe think about 
Um, if you are about to go, it might seem like a good idea, like, oh, I'm going to get my dog some fuel real quick. You're better off not doing that uh, for risking their health by way of their stomach turning. You know, I usually, I'll feed Kai extra. I usually feed him probably an extra half to three quarters of a cup the night before a hunt. Especially if I know, like, like next week, he's going to be on geese. And I know he's going to, I know he's going to be working. So I, I, I'm going to go ahead. I'm already going to, I'm already starting to feed him extra right now, just because it takes so much out of those dogs, man. Like it really does. Like, I mean, you think about it, like when we're on the road, man, like he's out during the day when we're hunting. And then I, I bet you, I would bet money if we just put a camera in his kennel, he's sleeping all afternoon and all night. Like just oh man, you remember what was in Arkansas? I mean, he didn't even want to get out. Like he, no. like, he was like, "I'm, I'm good." Like, yeah, he's he's sleeping night night. Bro, bro went night night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that that's something to think about as well. You know what I mean? Man, this this topic is like uh dogs are one of the things that I can. I mean, I could literally I could talk about so much just because I. I have some really strong opinions about dogs and how they fit into what we do. And I think that people don't have the right mindset in a lot of ways, you know, and I, and I keep circling back to this, select the right dog for your, for your expectations. If you, if all you want is a pet, then go buy a pet. You don't need, you don't need to buy a dog off of the national field champion. If, if all you want is a pet, you know, but if you really, if you're a waterfowl hunter and you want a good top shelf dog, then you need to start, start with the puppy, start with paper and you still might fail before you might have a dog that washes out of training. And that's something you have to accept. Or if you want to take or eliminate some of that risk, do what we said and buy a started dog. All I'm saying is there are so many people out there that are like, well, I don't need my dog to do this, or I just need a meat dog or you know, I don't need one of those hunt test dogs. I think all that is big, fat, flaming bullshit. And it's excuses. Either, you know, if you're broke, just say that. You know what I mean? Or if you don't understand or you're ignorant to it, just say that. Because I cannot think of very many hunting scenarios where you wouldn't want a dog to perform at a minimum of a senior level. I cannot. I think that... And I agree with that, but I think that the, the problem is, is that a lot of people just haven't seen a dog that can do it. You know what right. I mean? So then why is there this big aura surrounding people saying, I don't need that? Or I don't, you, they don't even know what that is before they're I saying, I agree with it. Yeah. I don't, I don't need you know, it. So they're, they're running their mouth before they even know what they're talking about. Well, I think too is like there, there's the, for one, is there's a barrier in, like financial aspect of it obviously like you're the make to make that commitment um it's pretty hard for people you know what i mean like like whereas like myself and you we spend about every free dollar we have is spent in this sport you know what i mean yeah, just about absolutely. like and a lot of people don't do that so that i think that's one of the reasons why like why well, do other things i'm not going to spend that money and that's fine completely fine or whatever but to say like that you don't need that when you you don't know you need something until you've seen it you know what i mean like if you've never seen it you, you don't know it like and and i mean truthfully like my expectations changed completely once i saw a master and i'm not saying i'm not putting down people that don't use professional trainers what i'm putting down is people who say I just need a meat dog who are not running their dog through any type of program whatsoever. And, and that is what I have a pro I have a problem with that because they allow their dogs to break and use the excuse of, I want my dog to be out there first. I want my dog to hurry up, get out there, get the bird and get back. So I send them, I send them quote unquote beforehand. No, your dog broke. Yeah, your dog broke. Right. That's a safety issue. That is, as a obedience problem your dog broke just just 
your dog breaks because your dog isn't trained properly. That's what happened. Or if, you know, you could people make up all these excuses. And I'm not saying Kai hasn't made a mistake. Kai broke in Arkansas. You remember that? Yeah, he broke but hard. He broke big time, but he got his ass drug for that because he knows. Now, there was 18 guns in those A-frames. That's a lot for That's 18 guns going off, 18 times three going off at one time. That is what that dog heard. He thought Armageddon has come. You know, it is D-Day. We're on the beach, storming the beach. Like he, God knows what was running through that dog's mind. And he said, there's got to be 50,000 birds out here dead. I got to go. Look at all these shots. You know, and he, he jetted out of that blind. And as soon as he left, he got a very hard correction on breaking because that is such a big deal. And while you're hunting with your dog, hold your dog to the standard. Don't allow them to develop bad habits in the field for you to have to go back home and correct or for you to your trainer to have to go back and correct. You should be holding that dog to the same standard that they're held to in training. And I'm not saying that, you know, you have to nitpick every single little thing. But we'll use an example. I listen to a couple of other dog training podcasts from time to time, and they talk about um, intentional casting. And, you know, when you whistle a dog down and you give you give a cast, let's say you give, you know, a left angle back cast. So your your left arm is up in the air at a 45 degree angle. You know, you want that dog in training. You want that dog to give you a 45 degree angle. When in reality, you know, if he changes direction in the field, you train to a tighter standard than you hunt. But when you, if you want that dog and you see that dog veering off in the wrong direction, there's nothing to say you can't, even when in a hunting scenario, whistle that dog down, give him a correction whistle or whatever, re-give the cast so that they know like, okay, like he's still, he's still going to make me hold this standard, even though we're hunting, like he's still going to make me do that. And you're you're gonna keep your dog from developing these bad habits that people let their dogs get away with. I don't know. I don't. Mm. Nothing worse than that. Worse than that stuff. And a freaking dog that whines in the blind. A dog that jumps on you in the blind. Like just complete lack of obedience. It bothers the shit out of me. And people don't enforce it. That was that was another uh, thing I was gonna bring up. Um, I have to have a dog who's going to be extremely conditioned to the collar. Yeah. That, like, so that piece right there bugs me. Like, you go, like, hunt with somebody, and I, I'm nine out of 10 times, I know it's going to be a bad time if that dog doesn't have a collar on. I just oh, know, I like, I just know it. Like, he could, he could be the best dog in the house, but the moment you take him out there to hunt and he's hyped up, his energy's on a thousand. Like he's ready to go, she's ready to get. Like, it's just out the window at that point because you, you there's nothing <clears throat> really that you can correct at that moment. Like yeah. You don't have a correctable measure for them. The only way, the only way to to do that, and I've done this with Kai as a drill, is uh, is if I won't. So the reward for that, the reward for the dog is the bumper or the bird, because that's what they that's what they want. That's that is their. That is their reward is beginning able to retrieve this bird. That is their reward. So if you send a dog on a blind and the dog cash refuses you and the dog doesn't have a collar on, because I do this because at hunt test, the dog doesn't have a collar. And, you know, I've had issues with, with Kai in the past of cash refusing me. So what I would do is if he gives me a cash refusal, I'll peep him back down and I'll recall him not all the way, but I'll recall him to the spot of his error or, I'll recall him to that exact spot and I'll blow that whistle again and I'll re-give him that cast. And then I have also recalled him, sat him back down with a whistle. I've walked out in the field and given him correction as well, just so he knows like, oh, dad, dad's not scared to come out here and handle business. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. But, um, you know, with a collar, I think people, I think people, overuse a collar too i think people leave their collars turned up too high i think i think people don't exactly know how to use if you hit if your dog you know shakes his ear or moves his neck on a one that's where you start at that's a correction the dog the dog felt that and and gave you a reaction 
that's it. So you don't need to turn it three times past that and have your dog yelping. You know, that is reserved for very like when Kai broke in Arkansas. He got he got a little he got the business on an eight high. Got to act right. <laughs> he he got the business on an eight high. And he knew why too. He immediately he knew what's up. You know what I mean? And there's a time for that. Um, but I think overall people are people are utilizing their collars improperly. And um, you know, you don't necessarily have to to do a negative you don't necessarily have to do a negative correction in all circumstances. Like a lot of times when I use the collar, this is something um, something that I learned from another pro, but using uh, using the collar for positive reinforcement, like re not not enforcing or using it on a direct thing. Like if you get a cash refusal, you know, you're not going to burn him for the cash refusal. You're going to blow the whistle and you're going to be you're enforcing sit with a collar indirect pressure instead of direct direct would be burning them on the cash refusal indirect would be burning them on a sit and not really burning him i i'm not you know not super high but giving a correction you know kai for for me when i work with kyle on my garmin he's a two like kai's kai's i have to i work with him on a two um so i will you know give him that give him that cast if he gives me a cash refusal peep and then I, as soon as I hit the whistle, I hit the, I hit the collar and then I release the pressure when his butt hits the ground. Well, like that indirect yeah. pressure makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's necessarily what I'm saying is, but like, like a reset you, button. yeah, but you can watch, like, I think this is part of the problem is, is like, and I, I look at it from like a kid's standpoint, like a lot of people get mad when their child doesn't do something immediately. Like they still have to process it, what you're telling them to do but you can watch their body language to see if they're making that transition to right. doing what you want to do. Like you, I mean, like you could be standing far off in the distance and uh, you know, I could, I could be watching Kai and I, I can tell every time you hit it. Right. Like he, yeah. his, his body language changes. He's not getting fried or anything like that. But I think what happens is most guys want to turn it up because they're not, cueing in on the body language of the dog to see if they're getting the reaction that they need. Yeah. And it's a confidence thing too. I, I know we said we talk about a couple of drills um, before you go hunt confidence between you and your dog and your dog and you is probably one of the most important things. And something that, um, that Jake taught me, Jake Van Dyke um, was the wagon wheel, you know, and it's a, it's a drill that a lot of pros use, but you can imagine yourself as the center spoke, the, the midpoint of the wheel, right? And you have yeah, bumpers at 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and 3 o'clock, cardinal, you know, clock directions. So when you're when you get your dog and you heal your dog into you, you know, you're going to send him to that. You're, they're all blind retrieves. You're using orange bumpers. You're setting these bumpers like 10 to 15 yards, super close, but you're, you're giving your dog confidence. It's a lining drill. You're sending them to that three o'clock. You're sending them to that 11 o'clock. You're sending them to that one o'clock. You're sending them at three o'clock and they're building that confidence in you and, and together. And it's going to help your line out. And then, you know, you start mixing in, you know, a long bumper at say 10 and two, that's also orange, but it's like 15 yards on the other side of it. And you change up which, which one you're sending them to. And, you know, I saw in working with Kai on that drill, a ton more confidence in me. You know, he saw that in me. I saw that in him. It re-solidified our bond. And that is a drill that I will do before we hunt. Maybe not like obviously right before, but you know, in the days leading up to us hunting, that's something that that we do together and we work on because I want him to have trust in me. I think that that's definitely a good drill. Also, I get kind of perplexed when I, you know, um, I go hunt with a guy and he he won't throw a bumper prior to hunting. Like it just like some dogs inherently, I think, or they understand what's going down whenever it happens, you know, you put them in their blind or whatever. And then other times I've been with people and it's like first shots ring out and their dog's just like, 
oh, we're, we're doing this now? Like, like no, <laughs> like, let's be ready. Let's play ball. You know what I mean? I think that comes down to, like, you knowing your dog and what works best for you and your routine, yeah. developing a routine. Um, you know, like routines, for instance, Kai gets a Kai has a good hunt. He gets a cheeseburger. That's something that, you know, uh, that Jake used to do with, with his dog. And it's something that, you know, as soon as you told me about it, I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to pass that along to Kai. And, you know, me and Kai, me and Kai have that, that, that thing together. You know, when he has a good day, you know, out there we go hunt, he gets a cheeseburger. If he goes to a test and he does what he's supposed to do, he gets a cheeseburger, you know, and I, I know, and it has to be from McDonald's. It's just, <laughs> that, that's, it, it's, it has to be a McDonald's cheeseburger. And, uh, and he's funny about it. You know, Kai, he knows what's up. He eats, uh, he wants his burger put in, cut, you know, cut in half or ripped in half. He, you know, he wants half at a time. He does his thing, but it's something that, that him and I have together. And I think, I think all of these things collectively come together to make that relationship between dog and hunter so important. And it's, it's something that obviously, you know, we've said it more than one time, it's near and dear to, to my heart. It's near and dear to yours as you're going to be within the next year or two on your search for a hunting dog. And I think it's important for us to talk about. And uh, so I'm glad we were able to, go over this one tonight and uh and, and talk about this one yeah i mean i definitely think i mean i'm more along the lines where i, I probably will end up buying a finished dog only because of my i have huge time constraints you know what i mean yeah and, absolutely and uh i mean i need a do i honestly i need a dog like yesterday um yeah so i don't necessarily want to wait to keep to you know get that um and you so. don't have to buy a master dog man you could buy a dog that's gotten through force fetch gotten through t-drill gotten through swim by and is starting to work on you know um pattern blinds and and more senior level concepts and you can pick you can pick up that dog at, at that stage and carry them through to master or you want to go ahead and buy a master title dog, you can go ahead and buy a master title dog. You know, I mean, there's a million different ways you can go about it. Uh, and I don't really think that either any way is the wrong way. Um, I think, I think any, you know, any, whether you want to get a puppy and you want to run that puppy all the way through, or whether you want to pick up a started dog or whether you want to pick up a finished dog, I think each one of those options has its benefits, has its drawbacks and, you know, um, certainly the safest bet is to buy a finished dog. That's the safest bet. The dog is already trained to the level that you want. You've seen the dog work. You've worked the dog yourself. Y'all have a good working relationship. That is 100% the safest bet you can, you can have, but you miss out on the first, you know, two to three years of that dog's life. And that's has to be something that you can be okay with. Yeah. And that, I think that's what, like, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, don't get me wrong. I love my, my little man, Tucker, but, uh, I want, and, and I want to have a relationship with the dog that I buy, but I'm not buying that dog for that level of companionship, if that makes sense. Like right. it may progress to that, but oh, it will, it's not yeah. a may. it will. <laughs> um, but, uh, like I'm not, I'm not buying, that's not what I'm looking for in that. You know what I mean? Like I, right. I'm buying the tool aspect of it. Right. And and you guys will build that relationship. It's it's not an if, it's a it's a it's a win. So yeah. um that it's just natural that that that's gonna happen. And you'll know when you find that dog. Like when you when you work that dog that you wind up picking out, that's gonna be you're gonna know it. Yeah, that and that I'm kind of um excited for that. I'm sure it's gonna be I'm gonna spend a lot of money and travel, you know, and everything else really. to make that happen but we have we have too many connections for you to to have to go through too lengthy of a process <laughs> i mean that's true too but uh yeah i'll be i i have a feeling that i'm going to be pretty picky about it as you should be i mean yeah. you're gonna you want to make sure that you have exactly what it is that you need and that's how that's how it should be so 
Yeah, man, I definitely, I enjoyed this topic. Uh, like I said, it's getting near and dear to my heart as I, I travel through this journey. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of red tape out there that a lot of guys don't see because they don't know. Like there's not a, there's not a one-on-one dog school that, you know, you're, you're learning these things off of. And if we didn't have, you know, people like Jake and stuff like that, like, that we could really bounce ideas off of and understand. I, I know for myself, especially like even, I mean, he gave me so much advice and just Tucker. And then like, I had to call him. I was like, Hey man, he's not coming to you. You know what I mean? Like, so. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, through the, through the dog training or, or, you know, AKC hunt test community, you know, I've met so many amazing people. Um, you know, too many, too many to name. And that is just a really, really good group of folks that truly care about the sport. And, you know, I, I have found that, that they're all, they've all been incredibly helpful to me. And uh, I think, I think if, if folks out there will get involved with their local retriever club and, and open some lines of communication between yourself and some pro trainers, that you'll see the same thing that I'm telling you. Um, but I know we're coming into our hour here if we're not already over it and I don't want to drag these people on too, too much, but we're looking forward to, uh, to having Dylan back with us next episode and hope that you guys like what we keep bringing you. Yes, sir. Uh, if you could, please, uh, leave us a solid review that those five stars out there on Spotify. And if you're on Apple, you know, write a little review up and tell us what you like and what you don't like. But, or tell uh, us what you want to see us do. Yeah, or or tell us what you want to, you know, something you want to hear us talk about. Um, we're definitely not lacking for ideas, but we will front run ideas that people want to hear to Absolutely. start. Um, but that's all for this week, and, and we appreciate you guys giving us a listen. Yep, catch you next time.